The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals being interviewed and do not necessarily represent those of the Greater Winter Haven Chamber of Commerce. You're listening to It's Happening in the Haven. I'm your host, Katie Worthington-Decker. Each episode, I get the privilege to speak to the amazing people taking Winter Haven and its surrounding Central Florida area to the next level. We're future-focused, celebrating our entrepreneurial history, and leveraging it for our bright future ahead. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for It's Happening in the Haven. I'm your host, Katie Worthington-Decker, President and CEO of the Greater Winter Haven Chamber of Commerce, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Rachel Lawrence, Marketing Coordinator for the Chamber. Hi there. This podcast is produced by the Winter Haven Chamber, but made possible through a phenomenal partnership with Dolphin Image Studios. Our producer from Dolphin Image Studios is Nate. Hey, Nate, tell our listeners a little bit about the studio. All right. Dolphin Image Studios is a uh, full production film and television studio. We offer a 3,000 square foot soundstage, psych wall, LED wall, and a podcast studio. If you want to find us, just go to facebook.com backslash Dolphin Image Studios. On today's show, we've got Winter Haven's Energizer Bunny, and his name is Dan Chesnica. He is the producing director for Theater Winter Haven and not only manages their location at the Chain of Lakes Park, but also the performances at Lake Ashton, the Ritz Theater, and numerous other locations. The man is everywhere. We also get a lesson in primaries and the caucus from Polk State College Government Adjunct Professor Ed Smith and get to know our Chamber Vice President of Member Services, Amanda Jo Nicholson, and why she made the leap to Winter Haven from across the pond. So many of the best-in-class people packed into this episode. I'd especially like to thank Amanda Joe, who stepped up in to interview Dan a few weeks ago when I was out with a really bad stomach bug. Um, but the show must go on, as they say, as the theme for this episode. And I really appreciate Amanda Joe being willing to fill in. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of local businesses in the Winter Haven community, including our presenting sponsor, Fred Simons Insurance Agency. That's right. There's a new farmer's insurance agent in your neighborhood. Meet Fred Simons with the Fred Simons Insurance Agency located at 325 Avenue C Southwest, Winter Haven, Florida. As the road you travel changes, so can your insurance needs. Give Fred Simons a call today at 863-259-1826 so he can help you as you assess whether you're ready for the journey ahead. That's Farmers Insurance Agent Fred Simons at 863-259-1826. We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers, Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges, and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. Hello, everyone. My name is Amanda Jo Nicholson, and I'm standing in for Katie Worthington Decker. Today, we are elated to have with us Dan Chesnicker, producing director at Theatre Winterhaven. The best way I describe Dan to people is that he is the Energizer Bonnie, crossed with a ball of sunshine, crossed with Yoda. Dan began his involvement in the theatre aged five in a production of The King and I. He took the role of producing director at Theatre Winterhaven in September 2015. And as you will hear, we are incredibly lucky for it. Dan, welcome to the podcast. 
Thanks. I'm a little disappointed it took you six episodes to get to me, but uh, I'll <laughs> lick apologies. my wounds and carry on. <laughs> You're a hard guy to track down. <laughs> so how did you end up in this role, Dan? What's your background? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, I'm actually a theater dad is kind of how I ended up in this role. Um, I was on the board of directors prior to uh, me getting this position, and um, I was there largely because my kids were involved in the theater. I was an inventor at the time. You know, oh, I was wow. creating products and having my factories in China and selling them. And I didn't really have a proper job. I was living off the royalties of the products that I invented. So I spent a lot of time at the theater because my daughters and my son at that time were involved in volunteering there. So um, I was asked to be on the board of directors where I served for a couple of years. And then the theater really saved my life. It is a fantastic, remarkable place. It saved my kids' lives, I believe. Um, and I love it. I love it with every fiber of my person. And when Norm retired, it's a scary time. It was a scary time for all of us. You know, Norman had created this organization that is remarkable. You know, he, ha he had 45 years in that, in creating that theater. And we wanted to make sure that we replaced Norm with someone who w shared Norm's values. And we did a nationwide search and we brought in a bunch of candidates. We even offered the position to one of the guys, um, but it just didn't work out. We never found the right person to replace Norman in that role. Right. And I cared so much that um, I threw my name into the ring and said, you know, I will, I will take the helm if, if you'll have me and, and help preserve everything that Norman had created. Of course. Well, we're definitely glad that, you know, that you ended up in this role and that you're a strong person in our community. Why would you say it's important for a community to have um, a theater within the community? I think theater does something that no nothing else can do in a community. Um, it's such a safe place. What happens in a theater is that um, it attracts a lot of people who are a little bit different, a little weird, um, but in the best way. I mean, this in the best way that... Um, that often don't fit in in the schools. The things that'll get you bullied in school are the very things that get you rewarded in a theater. Mm -hmm. So I look at it as a safe place for anybody. Um, it's a place where you are accepted for your differences. Not only accepted, you are celebrated for your differences. No one ever got a leading role by being just like everybody else. Absolutely. You know, the goal is to stand out. And the weirder you are, the quirkier you, quirkier you are, the better. So I think theater is perhaps the one place in the world where you are accepted just for being you, mm -hmm. regardless of what that means. Yes. So I love that we have that in any community and it's a safe place. But also theater, at least in our community, does so much more. Um, I think that we are a support arm of any organization that's in our community that's trying to do good things. Definitely. You know, all of our resources are available to all the nonprofits that are out there. We're always trying to figure out a way to support people who are doing good in our community. The very first event I ever did in this job wasn't putting on a play. It was doing some entertainment for the year chamber breakfast, mm -hmm. uh, a month into what I was doing. And I think that really set the stage for me because I wanted to make sure that Theater Winter Haven is a spoke in everybody's wheel. You know, if whether it's the Montessori school or PEP that's trying to raise money through the lip sync battle, mm -hmm. or, you know, the Puerto Rican Chamber of Commerce called me last week 
and we're going to be doing a benefit for earthquake relief at the Ritz. Regardless of what those organizations are, I want to make sure that the community theater is a resource for them. You know, the word community is every bit as important to me as the word theater. So um, I'm just thrilled that we're able to be that spoke in the wheel for a number of organizations. I'm thrilled that we have so many great resources that we can spread out amongst this community to make it a little bit better. But also for the people of this community, I think the theater does great things. You know, the fact that there's always something happening, Mm -hmm. if not today, Mm -hmm. certainly tomorrow. You know, I think in the past 21 days, we've done 30 some odd shows. You know, there's always something going on here. Of course, yes. And when I first got this job, I met with then acting city manager, uh, T. Michael Stavers, and I said, what do you expect out of me? And uh, <laughs> he said, do everything you can to make Winter Haven a great place to work, a great place to play, and a great place to live. I don't want someone to be considering where to move to and choose Orlando because they have more to do. You know, make sure that there's something for everyone to do in this community. And I think we do that in spades. You know, I think that there is always something happening, whether it's at the Ritz or at Theater Winter Haven. And we're arguably the best in the country mm-hmm. at what we do. I mean, our productions are great. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. And we're lucky enough that we have the right size theater. We have the right resources. Mm-hmm. Um, we're able to really do some fantastic stuff for the people of this community. And I want to make sure that we serve the whole community. You know, there's a lot of things to do for certain portions of our community. But my greatest challenge, I think, over the next several years is making sure that we serve everybody. You know, we artificially keep our prices low. Right. We're a nonprofit organization. Our goal is to make zero dollars. I, I mean, we could price it higher. There's a lot of community theaters out there that are selling their tickets for $70, $80. We don't. Ours are in the 20s. Right. And we make sure that on opening night, students can get in for free. You know, I know a n- number of our folks in this community are on fixed incomes. I know that a lot of the students, you know, Polk State and other places don't have a ton of money uh, right. that they can spend. But I want to make sure that no member of this community is excluded from the arts simply because they can't afford it. Even in our kids' programs, often more kids are on scholarship than are even paying for that. Mm-hmm. So we have to find ways, creative ways to fund all this kind of stuff and to make sure that it's accessible. And I guess that's a key word as I think about what we do. I want to make sure that our community theater and our programs are accessible to anybody who wants to be involved in the arts or wants to be entertained. It doesn't even have to be artistic necessarily. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. about entertainment as well. So mm-hmm. it's a huge job. I want to make sure, I mean, there's a lot of passion that I have for it. I want to <laughs> make sure that anybody who wants to be involved can be. Uh, Dan, tell us a little bit about some of the upcoming shows this season and some of the programs that you run. I'm pretty excited about, well, first I'm going to talk about the main stage, if that's all right, which is what we're pretty well known for. Um, our main stage consists of six huge shows that happen each year and then a couple of academy shows. Um, this year we've already uh, done three of them. Uh, we started out the season with Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Uh, we moved into a play called Coming Back Like a Song. And what's cool about Coming Back Like a Song, we were the second theater in the whole country to be able to perform that show. It was wow. it was written by a guy named Lee Ketchum. Mm-hmm. If that name sounds familiar, it's because he won an Emmy for writing All in the Family in the 70s. 
Um, we heard about it because he had written this play for his hometown community theater in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. And I'm a Massachusetts boy, and it was brought to my attention by someone who saw it there in the community. And I was able to call that theater, and we were able to work it out with the author himself to be able to perform it here. So no one else in the country has seen it except where it was workshopped up there in Pittsfield. Right. And that was super cool, I thought. And then we uh, we did I Love You, You're Perfect Now Change, which was a fan favorite. We did it once in 2007. It's our 50th, so I wanted to bring a couple back that people loved, like That's with Joseph nice. and, and that. And then we, I believe, are the very first community theater in the whole country that is going to be doing Kinky Boots, which is our next show. Yes, I saw that. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. It opens on uh, the 21st, no, the 20th, the 20th of February, and then we run for five weeks. Um, and that show is going to be amazing. It's got a great message. It's fun from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. It's great entertainment. It also has a great message, which I think everybody yeah. will appreciate. Absolutely. So, but it's just pure fun. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that one a lot. Uh, then we're doing a show called Calendar Girls. This is a true story. That's also from kink- my part of the world. Yeah, Kinky Boots is actually a true story mm-hmm. as well, also from your part of the world. <laughs> um, but Calendar Girls is a story about um, some older ladies. Um, one of their husbands, they're in a club, they're in a social club. One of their husbands uh, contracts cancer. They were all going to visit the husband. The couch was uncomfortable in the waiting room. So they wanted to do a fundraiser to buy a new couch in the hospital. Each year they had put out a calendar as part of their social group, which is, you know, the bridges of their neighborhoods or the churches of the neighborhood. So they decided to do like an old style pinup calendar featuring these older women. And not only did they end up raising enough to buy the couch, they ended up raising enough money to buy a whole new wing on the hospital. True story. Um, and we'll be telling that, retelling that on the Theater Winter Haven stage this spring. And then in the summer, we're doing The Wedding Singer. The Adam Sandler movie, which has been made into a play. So that's a love letter to the 80s. That'll be a lot of fun. It's got all 80s music in it. It'll be a great time. So that's our main stage season. We also have a ton of stuff happening at the Ritz. Every week there's three or four events that are happening there, whether it's uh, tribute acts. Um, Some of the things I'm most excited about is partnering with some of the members of the community to really service different areas of the community that I normally do. We're partnering with T-Fay. Once a uh-huh. month, she's going to be bringing in some uh, some entertainment to the Ritz. Wow. Wonderful. Yeah, it is fantastic. And Jason Alexander's doing his Smart Mouth show. He'll be there on the February 22nd and then onward. So um, I mentioned the Chamber of Commerce, the Puerto Rican Chamber of Commerce. We have a number of tribute groups on the 11th. We have John Denver, for example. We're bringing in the Brothers Four and the Limelighters, which is a folk group. They're fantastic. They're fairly well known. They're coming in on February 6th. We have a show called Nightshades that we're doing on the 7th and the 8th. Two different shows. This is a way of kind of doing a tribute to certain areas of music. The concept is it's a DJ who's talking about certain themes. And as the DJ throws to the music, it's a live band that plays on the stage. So he's got a certain theme that he goes through throughout the night. These ones are going to be at the Ritz, Dan? These are all at the Ritz, yeah. Um we do three shows primarily at the Ritz a week, and it's a lot. I mean, we have a lot of entertainment. As I say, I think we did 30-something shows in the past 20-something days. That's so. incredible. Yeah, it's quite a bit, quite a bit. The 27th, we have Voices. This is our celebration of Black History Month. Um, it's a, a, a tribute to Motown, essentially, mm-hmm. and uh, we've done this now for four years. It's uh, 
It's produced by Dr. Vincent Miller, who just won Teacher of the Year for 2020. Wow. Um, so that's our Black History Month celebration. We have an Eagles tribute on the 29th. Um, on the, we're doing a, the Vagina Monologues on the 12th. 100% of the proceeds from the Vagina Monologues is going to an organization called the Red, Red Tent. They're out of Lakeland. Mm -hmm. This is a group of survivors who fights domestic violence and human trafficking. Wow. And uh, it's really remarkable. This organization, if you call them, they'll arrange a taxi. They'll rescue you from whatever situation wow. is happening to you. Wow, that is um, amazing. And, yeah, they do a lot of great work in the community. Um, so, And that's on the 12th, as I say. So all of these things are... Happen. The best way to do is just go to the, the RitzWinterHaven.com to find out all the entertainment going there. I could talk for days about everything we have going in the next several months, but literally there's two or three things happening every single week. The 11th, a tribute to John Denver. The 18th, a tribute to the Bee Gees. The 25th, a tribute to Motown. Dan, you're amazing. <laughs> I'm not doing it. I, thank you. I don't know how you find the energy. I know that you're working with an amazingly talented group of people there. Um, and and we just, we thank you. What you have done to elevate the theater and the arts in our community provides a safe space for all to participate in and will do for many, many years to come. You are truly the definition of planting the seeds that will grow the trees whose shade you will not sit under impact is going to be phenomenal it's kind of you to say but uh, i'm the least hardest working person in the organization <laughs> you know we have hundreds of volunteers who mm -hmm. donate thousands of hours every single year um it's remarkable how many hours people put in hundreds of hundred of hours a week mm -hmm. often uh these folks are putting in with absolutely no pay the performers that are on our stage None of them are paid at all. They're all volunteer. And often they're traveling from Orlando mm -hmm. or Tampa through that. I, I do it once a month and I'm blinded with rage. Mm -hmm. And they're doing it every single day. <laughs> to get I4. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, they're doing it every day to get here to perform in a play in which they're not being paid for. They're simply doing it because they love serving the community in that way. I can't tell you how inspiring it is to be around all the folks who volunteer their time and the staff members who year in, year out work to provide this service to our community. I, I, I'll thank you for the compliment, but I, I mean, I guess I'm just the face of the hundreds of people who are working so hard to make to make all this work. You know, even in our community, we have 5,000 subscribers mm -hmm. to Theater Winter Haven. We're the envy of community theaters across oh, yeah. the nation because of that. And I think, I hope, that when someone buys a ticket to Theater Winter Haven to go see a show, that they realize that they're paying for more than just that show. They're yeah. paying for the scholarship of the kid who's you know going through something. I know some of the stories, but I wouldn't even tell. You know, yeah. There's... Uh, a lot of a lot of the people who come to us are running from something. You know, they're looking mm -hmm. for a safe place. Yeah. And when people buy a ticket to Theater Winter Haven, that's really what it's supporting. I never feel closer to my mission than when we're yeah. working with the kids and doing stuff in the academy. And the city has been so remarkable in recognizing that. Um, you know, you hear a lot of press about the new field house and the new construction and what mm -hmm. that's going to do for athletics in our community. Mm -hmm. And they're right. That's um, remarkable and amazing. 
But the byproduct of that is it also gives an opportunity to Theater Winter Haven to expand our offerings quite dramatically. Yeah, right. um, the city has generously taken a look at the other half, the, the old half, if yep. you will, of the building mm -hmm. and said, let's make this a center for the arts. Theater mm -hmm. Winter Haven, what can you do? So we are in the process of creating a performing arts center. Mm -hmm. So while we've been focused on theater all this time, the performing arts center will allow us to focus on the remainder of the visual and performing arts. Mm -hmm. So we've already started our city uh, choir, for example, where people come together and can all sing together. And they're from teenager all the way up to octogenarians are, are in this uh -huh. choir right. working together on this stuff. We're gonna be, we've already started our dance programs. And we're enhancing those dramatically. Again, starting from the itty bitties mm -hmm. all the way up to retired folks who have a dance class every yeah. Monday and oh, they're doing tap dancing. Mm -hmm. um, the goal is, and I think art can do this more than anything, is to bring a whole community together. You know, it doesn't matter what your economic status is when you're involved in these things. It doesn't matter your race. It does all mm -hmm. those things just drip away. It doesn't matter if you're straight or gay or Catholic or not, it doesn't, you know, it mm -hmm. all just stri gets stripped away Absolutely. and we're all in the same room doing the same thing for the same purpose. That's why I love it so much. I think it's just remarkable how it brings people together. Yes, that's, that agree. safe space is definitely important in the community. And, and we thank you and your volunteers and the supporters of all that you do because it's important that we get, you know, the people in to see those performances. If you want to see a performance at Theatre Winter Haven or indeed at the Ritz, um, if you want to learn more about them or purchase tickets for an upcoming show, visit theaterwinterhaven.com. That's theater with an R-E, winterhaven.com. This podcast would not be possible without our Chamber Investor Businesses stepping up to support us. We'd like to thank one of our podcast presenting sponsors, Meeks Real Estate. Winter Haven was rated by Realtor.com as our number one hottest real estate market. Do you need help navigating your home search? Meeks Real Estate LLC is owned and operated by broker Realtor, Carla Meeks. Carla has over 14 years of experience in residential and commercial real estate, as well as her GRI designation. Her office is located at 1510 North Broadway Avenue in Bartow. But Carla is actively involved in all of Polk County. Call or text Carla at any time. She would love to help you buy, sell, build, and invest in Central Florida. 863-604-9287 or visit CarlaMakesRealtor.com. That's C-A-R-L-A-M-E-E-K-S Realtor.com. Staying engaged and informed in the political arena can be a daunting task these days, even for the diehard political nerd. That's why we are lucky to have with us Ed Smith, Polk State College Adjunct Professor of American and State and Local Government, to help us break down and understand the issues. Welcome to the podcast, Ed. Uh, thank you. I'm excited to be here. You make me want to meet me. <laughs> You're very impressive. Thank you. <laughs> so um, the topic of today's discussion is primaries and caucuses. And am I saying that right? Is yes. that the plural of, of that? So um, right now, the state of Florida has a closed primary system. Can you explain what that is? 
Sure. So the primaries, you have to think of them like this. It's it's the process by which the party selects the candidates that will represent their party. Mm-hmm. So in a closed primary, the parties don't want the other parties or unaffiliated voters coming in and selecting their candidates. Mm-hmm. So they close it to only people registered in their parties. So Democrats only vote for Democrats. Republicans only vote for Republicans. And so if you're an independent or a no party affiliation registration then you do not vote in the primaries unless there happens to be a nonpartisan question on that ballot. Correct. Correct. Okay. Okay. So right now, based on recent voter registration statistics in the state of Florida, we are getting closer and closer to having an equitable distribution between the number of registered Republicans, the number of registered Democrats, and the number of people that register either as no party affiliation or with a third, smaller third party, like the Libertarian Party or the... Constitutional Party. The right, party. or the Marijuana Party or whatever pirate, it might There's be. actually a Pirate Party, a pirate? believe it or not. Yes. Oh, really? Is the there... US, I don't know if it's in Florida, but there is a yeah, Pirate Party the, in the United the States. The Flying Spaghetti Monster Party. I mean, whatever you whatever. want to pay to register, exactly. <laughs> uh, it, it can be registered. Maybe um, an Ed Smith Party. That'd uh, be there good. should yeah, be. Yeah. There really should be. You, th- that would be the party everyone should flock to. I think so, too. <laughs> so um, this fall, in November, there will be a proposed constitutional amendment on the ballot uh, to for the state of Florida proposing an open primary system that would take effect in the 2022 election. And the proposed amendment um, proposes what some kind of colloquially call a jungle primary, where the top two vote getters get to move on to the general election. Can you explain how that would change the way we vote today and why people are for or against it? Sure. So there are different types of primaries and different types of open primaries. The primary that's on the ballot or will be on the ballot is what we call a – they call it a jungle primary, but it's called a top two primary because it's the top two candidates that would move on to the general. And what would happen is all of the candidates who are running for Republican, Democrat or whatever party would all be listed on the ballot in the primary. Mm -hmm. Anybody could vote for anybody they want. The top two vote getters would move on then to the general and we would select from those two. The way it would change it is instead of having – a Republican and Democrat, which predominantly dominate the political system, you would end up maybe with two Democrats in the general election or two Republicans. So if you look back at the, say, the 2018 or, yeah, 2018 election for governor, we would have had Ron DeSantis and probably Adam Putnam as the top two candidates. Oh, right. Because they, they got more votes than anybody votes. else. Right. Exactly. Because right. the votes were so diluted on the Democrat side. Um, now, that doesn't take into account there was no crossover in that election. Right. right. Um, but that is the potential possibilities that you would have two Democrats and or two Republicans. And when I would walk into the, the polling station, uh, they wouldn't necessarily ask me, are you voting Democrat or Republican? They will just say, here's your ballot. You would just get a primary and so ballot and you would vote. Everybody Correct. gets the same one. So what other states have open primaries and do any other states have this type of open primary or what is the So there are two states that have the top two primary. That would be California and Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, and you know, you political nerds out there who are listening, don't come beat me up if I get this wrong. <laughs> Somewhere around 2004, Washington I think was the first um, and then California behind them. There are 15 states that have an open primary where you can pretty much cross party lines up and down the ballot. Um, there are a couple of states, I believe it's six or seven, that have a um, partially open primary where you have to pick which party you want to vote for, either Republican or Democrat. So you walk in Democrat. and say, regardless of how you're registered, you just walk in and say, Give me a Democrat ballot, 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 give me a Republican ballot. Oh. 
Um, and so, and then the remaining states are partially closed or closed. Okay. So some people who are proponents of the open primaries state that they want them so that more moderate candidates can have a chance in the current environment where it feels like the party primary party candidates have to go extreme left or extreme right to appeal to those factions to win the primary. Has this been the case in other states with open primaries or or you know is that a side effect of open primaries so it hasn't uh, hasn't been in place for too long okay um, you know you're only going back about 15 years so there i don't know that there are enough elections that you could really do a study that would analyze that to give you that kind of information i know mm-hmm. um university berkeley university did a study in 2012 to see if it if the candidates that were selected were more moderate mm-hmm. um, they didn't find any indication that it actually made a difference in terms of moderation of candidates. Right. Um, I know that is one of the arguments, um, but if you look at, so even if you look at registration in Florida, um, unaffiliated registration is about 28%, give or take a fraction or here or there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I registered to vote, I'm not going to tell you how long ago that was, but a long time ago, <laughs> it was about 4 or 5%. Right. So it is. It's, it's, it's rising every year. You know, as you know, um, with the chamber, Katie, 300,000 people a year are moving into our state, mm-hmm. and we are registering a net registration of 290,000 voters, new voters every year. So I, I'm not a rocket scientist, and mm-hmm. I don't have any information to verify this, but I'm sure there's some correlation there. So as new voters are coming in, it's going to change your political landscape. Right. But if we look at turnout statistics, while unaffiliated represent about 28% of the electorate, only 44% turnout in a general election. Oh, wow. Which is where you have higher turnout. Right. So in the last election in 2018, we had 61% turnout in the general. Well, in the primary, we only had 27% turnout. Total of Total all people? Oh, of wow. all um, registered voters. So mm-hmm. I don't know that opening the primary is going to translate into vast numbers of unaffiliated turning out any higher than in they the are primaries. now. In the primaries, right. Correct. Right. Well, and it would have to be changing behavior because they've never been able to really do it unless there's a random local question on the primary ballot or something. True. Like that. And I think a lot of unaffiliated have become so accustomed. They lean one way or another. Usually, right. you know, when they talk about those undecided voters, that's really a very small segment of the voter population. Mm-hmm. And many of the undecided decided voters are actually Republicans and Democrats as well as unaffiliated. Right. So. Right. Well, and I found that um, maybe even generationally people under 40 are registering more as NPAs. And um, I think a lot of it has to do with just the tribalism of today's politics. And, you know, if they find out you're a Republican or they find out you're a Democrat, they automatically label you with all of the crazy labels that go out with that. So I think think there's a segment of people that are like, I don't want to be labeled, (laughs) you know. Well, if you just look at the current political climate, you know, with President Trump and Mm -hmm. the polarization between him and, say, Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody wants to associate with either one of them. Right. So, you know, <laughs> I want to be nonpartisan. I want to stay out of that fray. Right. I'll give you an example. Um, I've been married for, I'm not going to tell you how long I've been married either. <laughs> I've been married for a long time. And You uh, are not old, by the way, but you keep making these old references. Well, my, my children <laughs> believe that dinosaurs were roaming the earth when I was in school. So, um, But uh, my wife voted in the, in the 2016 election, and, and because of the polarization— I really have no – she to this day has not told me who she voted for and probably won't. Right. I'm not going to ask because I want to stay living. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, <laughs> but that was such a polarizing election um, that even people who might have a political leaning aren't wanting to openly talk. You know, I, right. I, I give you 
Do I have a second to give, give you an interesting yeah, tidbit? Absolutely. So, in that election, if you looked at all the polling in 2016, leading up to election night, it looked like Hillary Clinton was going to walk away. With it. I mean, it did. Mm-hmm. All the polling. There were a handful of polls that predicted Trump would win. Mm-hmm. There was one particular pollster, and I, I wish I had the information with me. I don't. But there was a pollster who was doing his, conducting his polling, and he realized this polarization was causing a problem. So when he would ask, typically a pollster would say, who are you going to vote for for right. president? <laughs> if you said Clinton, mark you down for Clinton. If you say Trump, mark you down for Trump. If you say undecided, they put you in an undecided column. So this pollster would ask, who are you going to vote for? And if they said one of the two, they put them down. If they said they were undecided, they asked a follow-up question, which was, who are your neighbors voting for? Now, the reason he asked that is because you're not going to admit you're going to vote for Trump or Hillary, but you might say, hey, my neighbors are crazy enough. They're going to vote for Trump right. or they're going to vote for Hillary. Mm-hmm. So that was a way for him to then categorize those undecided. So if they said my neighbors are voting for Trump, they put them down as a Trump voter. If they said my neighbors are voting for Clinton, they put them down for a Clinton voter. And he was able to predict the election results in right. those swing states. Right. Yeah, I think that 2016 was probably the first time, um, you know, not the first time maybe, but spouses, neighbors, friends, you just didn't talk about it. Not that you should ever ask anyone who they voted for because that's an incredibly personal question. That's true. But um, but yeah, there were there were a lot of um, households that probably said, you know what, we're just not talking about it anymore. Ours <laughs> and was we're one not of those. watching the news. We're not doing any of that. So uh, yeah. So uh, recently, um, when we're talking about primaries, there are a few states left, a handful of states left that have something called a caucus. And obviously the Iowa caucus that just recently happened uh, brought how they work to the forefront, um, mostly because of technology and an app um, kind of screwing up their process a little bit. But what is a caucus and how does it differ from a primary? So first of all, isn't technology awesome? Um, (laughs) They resorted to paper, by the way. That's literally how they counted the votes. And maybe they should have started that way. I would have solved the problem. Um, So most of us are used to a primary, which is basically a secret ballot. Like we were just talking about, people Mm -hmm. don't want to share who they're voting for. So a secret ballot is a way for you to vote for whoever you want to vote for and not to worry about people knowing your political stance. So a caucus is a very interesting process probably a little more democratic in the sense that it is an open dialogue. Mm -hmm. So voters in precincts in Iowa show up to their precinct. Democrats go to the Democrat caucus, Republicans to the Republican caucus, but we'll use the Democrats since that's the one that was highlighted in the Iowa, recent Iowa caucus. Mm -hmm. So Democrats show up to their precinct, whichever voters show up participate. And they're the only ones that are counted, just like in a primary, whoever shows up and fills out a ballot Mm -hmm. are counted. So the Democrats show up, and usually it depends on which candidate has the best ground team, but you will have somebody at that precinct who is a captain for one of the candidates. So, for example, um, Mayor Buttigieg, um, my students like to call him Booty Judge. They think it's funny. Um, but Mayor Buttigieg um, had a very good ground team in Iowa. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so he had precinct captains. And those precinct captains will show up at the precincts, and they will try to convince other voters to join them. So through the night, there'll be open debate, there'll be dialogue, there'll be arguments back and forth. And then at the end of the evening, the candidates' representatives divide up around the room and voters kind of congregate towards the candidates. Literally physically get up and Physically get up and go in. So you go into this corner for Sanders, that corner for Buttigieg, this corner for Warren, uh, maybe that little small corner over there for Biden. Um, (laughs) And you pick a candidate. Right. Now, they changed the rules this year for the Iowa caucus. You had to have at least 15 percent of those present in your corner, or those uh, members had to divide up against amongst the other delegates. And so it just keeps winnowing down until you have, you know, two, three, four 
uh, candidates that have enough um, voters surrounding them. And then the delegates are divided up based on how many voters join your candidate in each precinct in Iowa. Oh, wow. And so when I heard something on the news about, um, you know, the in the second round, they chose Warren. So they chose X candidate in the first round, the second round. And that's when they go to their corners. I love that. In your corner. In your corner. That's like, <laughs> um, but they go in their corner. And if in that particular precinct, um, you know, Warren's not registering or um, um, any of the other candidates. Uh, Klobuchar. Yang, yeah, oh, yeah, Klobuchar the- aren't registering. Then. They say, okay, round two, and, and you, you have move to over to one of the other candidates who does have fifteen percent. And the peer pressure, I feel like it's fascinating. I mean, you talk about neighbors wanting to know. You well, know. you know, I tell my I tell my kids, it's a fascinating, and, and I have to stop and go. Wait a minute, I'm a nerd, you're not. But it's fascinating to me <laughs> it is, yeah. because it's just an open dialogue and a lot of uh, debate back and forth. Now, most people, just like in primaries, pretty much know who they're going to support before they show up. Right. But, uh, right. but it's an interesting process. And then once the precincts have all done their caucuses and voted. Then it goes to, uh, I believe, a county conventions that then select delegates. And it goes to a state convention that selects delegates. And those are the delegates that are sent to the national, national convention. convention. And so Iowa has a caucus. I think Nevada does Nevada a does. does um, North Dakota, Wyoming have caucuses. Kentucky had a Republican-only caucus, but I think they changed that this year. Okay. And then most of the territories use a caucus system. Do you think that that caucus system is a dead system? I mean, do you think that's eventually going to get phased out? Well, I don't think the Democrats did any uh, good for themselves. <laughs> uh, it, it definitely did not run very smoothly. Yeah. So primaries yeah. are typically a little easier to manage and operate. And how is it determined who, what order people hold their states, hold their primaries in? So Iowa has always been the big one. Um, you know, Florida's kind of midway through. I remember a couple years ago when Florida moved theirs, they got a slap on the hand. The different parties got slaps on the hand. So who determines when the primary is? And because now it's Iowa, New Hampshire, which I, I don't know what their population ranks, but those populations are kind of setting the tone for the rest of the election year. Well, they certainly set momentum mm-hmm. in, the, in the primary and caucus system. Um, it's actually left up to each individual legislature to decide when they're going to hold state legislatures decide when they'll hold their primaries and caucuses. It's been in flux and fluid for most of the history of the country. I mean, we could spend an hour talking about how the transition of how we select delegates and it's a very lengthy process. But after the 1968 election, Iowa was kind of bumped up into the front. Their caucus was bumped up in the front to try to set the tone for the rest of the primaries. Um, New Hampshire's state constitution actually requires that they be the first primary in the country. So if, say, Florida decides we're going to hold our primary on January 2nd, then New Hampshire would have to move theirs prior to New Ham- to January 2nd oh, really? in order to be viable under their state constitution. So that's kind of why New Hampshire is the first primary. And it just kind of set a, a uh, tradition or, or a precedent, precedent yeah. um, from 1972 on that Iowa was the first caucus, New Hampshire is the first primary. And then they wanted both parties wanted to stagger mm-hmm. those primaries so that it wasn't all decided in one. That way, candidates could have time to get out and work in the different states and campaign in different states. Mm-hmm. If you had all of the primaries on one day, 
candidates would only campaign in the big, large states or swing states. Right. Um, yeah. This forces them to go to Iowa. It does. Or, it forces yeah. them to go to small populated states and yeah. swing through the South, swing through the Midwest, mm-hmm. all of those things. Are there, there are multiple, normally multiple primaries on Florida's primary day, aren't there? Yes. Yeah, so once you get to March, so uh, the way the process works, Iowa's first, New Hampshire is second, which is actually tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, then I believe Nevada, then South Carolina is the first of the South to vote. Mm-hmm. And then when we get into March, then you have every Tuesday in March, there's a, a series of primary. states, right. quite a few states that are voting. Okay. And so for those listeners that may not know, uh, Florida's primary is actually on St. Patrick's Day this That's year. It's a lovely so day. It's a That's lovely day. Probably so. the second best holiday of the year after <laughs> 4th of July. Yeah. So, not that I'm uh, biased wear, or anything. Wear your green and <laughs> go to the polls and vote in the primaries. Um, and of course, there. I think the Republican Party of Florida decided not to hold a primary this year, didn't they? Several states did because... You know, typically when you have an incumbent president, they're going to win the primary anyway. Right, so right. you save money. You, you know, why expend the money to go out and do a primary when you know the result's going to be right? President exactly. Trump. Exactly. Did the I know there's a couple candidates though that have filed against President Trump. I mean, are they mad about that, or do they? Are there such small candidates? It really doesn't. I, I don't think they're. I think in Iowa, is, you know, very very small percentage. Mm-hmm. In New Hampshire, they're going to get a very small percentage. It's right. it's, yeah. it's not relevant. Well, this has been really interesting, and I, I have learned a lot today because I had no idea how a caucus worked. I mean, never having uh, been exposed to that process before. So um, I really appreciate you coming well, in today you. and talking about this today. So if you, as our listener, have a topic you would like to learn more about in politics and government, please let us know by emailing us at podcast at winterhavenchamber.com. This podcast would not be possible without our chamber and investor businesses stepping up to support us. We'd like to thank one of our podcast presenting sponsors, Advent Health. February is Heart Health Awareness Month. In 2018, heart disease was the leading cause of death in Polk County, representing 22% of deaths. Although heart disease is most often associated with men, according to the American Heart Association, heart disease is the number one killer in women and is also responsible for one in three deaths nationwide. Your heart and your whole health is in good hands at Advent Health Heart of Florida, offering a full range of cardiology and imaging services in Polk County. Your experienced and compassionate cardiologist will be by your side every step of the way, explaining the test results, discussing next steps, and working together to get your mind, body, and spirit stronger so that you can enjoy all that life has to offer. Learn more at adventhealth.com. That's adventhealth.com. For this week's How I Got Here segment, we are delighted to have with us our chamber's very own Amanda Jo Nicholson, Vice President of Member Services. Welcome to the podcast, AJ. Thank you for having me. So, AJ, where are you originally from? I am originally from a small town in West Yorkshire called Castleford. Um, It is located right in the heart of Yorkshire, which is the most beautiful county in the United Kingdom, but I may be biased. Um, (laughs) It's in the heart of the country, and it sits between two large cities, York and Leeds. Okay. So what brought you to America? A job. A job. I was working for Barclays Bank at the time in sales training and development and compliance. And an accounting company over here in the States asked me to set up an office in Europe for their European clients. 
That was back in 2003, and their office was located in Winterhaven. Okay. And so we found this city. So, Amanda Joe, you made the decision to be- become an American citizen. Tell us what it was like to, quote, denounce your <laughs> native citizenship and become a citizen of, of a new country. You know, when I was um, studying, well, when David and I were studying for our citizenship exams, Bonnie Parker asked us, uh, so why do you want to be American? And my answer then and still is now is who wouldn't want to be American? We are the greatest nation on earth. We are positive, forward thinking, hardworking. We work to realize our dreams. We don't let no stop us. We work hard. We can do anything that we want to be. Um, We have a very can-do attitude here. And if I'm being honest, that's what my parents raised me to be. And so I will be forever grateful to them for drilling those qualities into me. And so when we came here and we found a whole nation and a city that was like that, I knew I was home. But to get back to your question, honestly, I don't see it as denouncing my nation of birth. (laughs) (laughs) My British roots make me who I am. Mm -hmm. And I will always be proud and grateful for that. Britain will always be my touchstone. Um, I see it more as embracing the future that David and I want to have Mm -hmm. and to be more fully committed to the country who took us in. Plus, got to be honest with you, second to my wedding day, the day that we became U.S. citizens in 2014 was the best day of my life. This company that you started working for randomly, it was located in Winter Haven. So tell us about how you became involved with the Winter Haven Chamber. The chamber kind of was uh, something that I joined before I moved to the United States. I knew that if you want to be involved in a community and you want to build your network, you need to be a part of the chamber. And so back in 2005, when I was still working in uh, the United Kingdom, I joined the chamber. And when I started to attend events, when I would be over here working, and the first people that we met at the chamber were Susie and Sal Morocco. And God was certainly smiling on us that day because mm-hmm. they know everybody. And they, for some bizarre luck, reason, who knows, Susie and Sal took David and I under their wing and they introduced us to so many people who over the years have become our friends in Florida family. But then, funny story, the third person that we met, the one that Susie and Sal first introduced us to was Sam Killebrew. Because back then he wasn't representative, Sam Killebrew. Right. And um, the day after that we met him at our very first chamber event, he showed up at my office and he said, if you and David meet me for the next five Fridays, I'm going to introduce you to everybody you're ever going to need to know. And he did. Notably, one of those people was Bob Gurnett, who was then executive director of the chamber. Mm -hmm. Susie, Sal and Sam all encouraged me to join the chamber ambassador committee. So I was a volunteer at the chamber for a few years And when the job that I was doing um, in 2009, when I I finished working for that accounting company, Mm -hmm. I called Bob just to say, hey, my email's going to change. And that was Friday afternoon. On Monday afternoon, Bob called me and said, hey, you want to come work for us at the chamber? (laughs) And he gave me my dream job. So it was just complete serendipity, complete good timing, and God's blessings just put us in the right place. I have no idea why um, this community opened their arms to us like they did. I have no idea why everybody took us under their wing, why I got to my dream job the way that I did. Mm. But I will tell you that I'm thankful every single day that we that we got here, and I'm thankful for the people that we come across in Winter Haven. Well, we I can definitely say we're equally as thankful for you, and you and your husband made Winter Haven your forever home. 
thank you so much for sharing your story with us and thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I'll see you back at work. <laughs> of course. Well, that's it for another episode of It's Happening in the Haven. We'd like to thank our guests for today's podcast, Dan Chesnica with Theater Winter Haven, Ed Smith, adjunct professor at Polk State College and owner of ASAP Prince, and Amanda Jo Nicholson, vice president of member services for the Chamber. Be sure to tune in every week to It's Happening in the Haven, available on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. To learn more about Winter Haven and the Chamber of Commerce, visit winterhavenchamber.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We hoped you learned a little bit about our community today and even more about the people who are shaping its future. After all, no true community exists without the people who form it. Winter Haven. Some call it a haven. We call it home. <laughs>